The One Hot Minute podcast is brought to you by The Warehouse, who believe that saving the planet shouldn't cost the earth. Join them on their journey in making the sustainable affordable. The Hot Minute Podcast from Stuff's Forever Project. Usually, fossil fuel executives are cast as the bad guys of the climate change story, and with justification. Companies like Exxon are infamous for attacking the science of global warming and running well-funded campaigns to convince politicians, the media and the public that there's nothing to worry about. Now, Z Energy is one of New Zealand's biggest petrol retailers. It is responsible for a massive 9% of New Zealand's fossil fuel emissions. Another bad guy, right? Well, actually, CEO Mike Bennett is trying to cast himself and his company in a slightly different role. I'm Eloise Gibson, Stuff's Climate Change Editor, and you're listening to the One Hot Minute Podcast. Here's how it works. Stuff has launched an online video series called One Hot Minute, where we give each guest just 60 seconds to tell their climate change story. And then in this podcast, we dig a bit deeper into what they said in that video. So, Mike Bennett has been in the fossil fuel sector for 30 years, first with BP and then with Zed. But the thing is, he readily admits that fossil fuels are the main cause of climate change and that eventually we all need to stop buying them. In fact, he is publicly calling for New Zealand to hurry up and go carbon neutral. In his One Hot Minute video, he calls this a paradox. And to be honest, it's one I can identify with. I refill my Subaru with petrol most weeks, but I also wish Bennett's and his ilk would hurry up and stop selling me that petrol. It's awkward. So I started by asking him how he gets his head around that contradiction. Yeah, so if I came back to the logic of it, and I'll talk about the heart later on. No, talk about the heart now. Well, the heart is, I'm a father. I've got two daughters in their early 20s. I hope to be a grandfather one day. I think very carefully about my role as both a parent and a business leader about the legacy that I leave. And I don't want to be the guy that people say, well, who was that? person? Why did that person not make all of the necessary steps or push harder or pull harder in the transition that we need? That's not the legacy that I want to leave. Do you think you are making all the necessary steps? Uh, No. I'm doing everything I can by way of uh, talking about things, trying to prompt people, and that's that will ultimately lead to the necessary steps. But yeah, I don't have a billion dollars of my own, personally or as a company, just to go and, and economically transition us to that low-carbon future. You were at BP in the 1980s. Was there a kind of a party line that executives were meant to take about climate change? For where I was in the company at the time, no. There was no party line that we were told to abide by. Uh, I actually ended up being quite senior in BP at a, at a global level. And I can recall a speech that the group chief executive at the time made at Stanford back in the early 1990s, which is a long time ago now. And he called for our company and other companies like us to acknowledge the impacts of climate change and the products we sell for the impact that they have. And at that time, BP set targets to reduce its emissions and start to take some steps. 
in the early 2000s, BP came out with a program called Beyond Petroleum and actually allocated billions of dollars to invest in renewables. And certainly at the time when you know, in the 90s and the 2000s, when the, the boss said what he did, there were lots of employees high-fiving and saying, actually, yeah, this is great. You said in a, a 2011 interview that recruiters had to twist your arm to take the job leading Z. Mm. So, I mean, the story you're telling from BP is, is quite positive, despite the fact that we haven't had much progress in the intervening years. Why did you want to get out originally? What, what was it for you personally that wasn't working? So I'd spent 25 years working for big oil. I'd spent 17 of those years outside of New Zealand, China, South Africa, London, Singapore. So yeah, a citizen of the globe, if you like. And what I realised was that what mattered to BP, the things that were important to them, were conflicting with my personal values. So I chose to leave BP and I actually never, ever wanted to come anywhere near the energy sector. I actually preferred to go and work in something like tech or, or digital because that seemed to be more progressive and was solving world's problems rather than in the fossil fuel business, you tend to perpetuate the world's problems. I'm curious about, um, you know, when you started to think, I've got to leave this sector. Had you had some type of climate change conversion personally? Uh, you know, what's your view been on the science over the years? I think the science has been, if you, again, I've been around for a long time, 35 years in the industry. So the science has been emerging. If you like, in the early days, and if I go back, early days being my 35 years, there were scientists who had evidence that human activity, you know, particularly fossil fuels, was causing and accelerating climate change. But in those days, perhaps 5% of science had agreed on that. Today, we've got 99.5% of scientists saying, actually, this is the issue. So over that 35 years, it's gone from a, sm a smidgen to actually being almost everybody. I feel I have to jump in on behalf of that 5% of scientists and say I'm not sure that 95% of science was against it. I just don't think that people were researching it in the, the sheer numbers that they are today, right? We didn't have an IPCC to gather together a 1,000 papers until slightly later. I think perhaps the science was solid before people outside of that realm realised that it was. Well, a lot of it's what was available to people. So if you think about, again, I'm not defending my position at all, if you think about what was available way back then, it was probably very dense scientific journal type material that wasn't easily consumed by the mainstream, let alone a business leader like myself. And now it is much more consumable. It's much more available. And as you say, I think something like the IPCC is a really important participant in this by bringing together that and giving it almost like a brand where you say, actually, there is legitimacy here because a body that spans the globe have now endorsed the thousands, if not tens of thousands of scientific papers. Uh, what do you do personally to recognise climate change? Like, how do you get to work? Yeah, so I, I drive a Mini, a conscious choice to drive a smaller car. My wife drives a hybrid. Uh, I don't eat uh, meat anymore. Mm. I'm, I'm a pescatarian, so I still do the fish thing, but I, I don't eat meat. How did you come to that decision? I was involved in some work done by um, the Motu Economics Group in, in Wellington, mm -hmm. and they came out and said, look, if people want to individually make changes around their impact on the, on the climate, or emissions in particular, it's as simple as consume less dairy, eat less meat, drive less and, and fly less. Now, I'm not saying we all have to stop doing all that overnight because everyone's going to make their own choices. But I thought, well, actually, well, within that, what can I do? So yeah, the thing around the car and, and the diet, which is also health-related as well, seemed like an easy thing for me to take a step on. How much do you fly? How many times do you reckon you travelled in the last 12 months? Overseas? So I fly a lot. So yeah. I live in Auckland, but I work in Wellington. 
right? So again, that's from a family perspective, I don't want to move my family to Wellington and I'm really, really conscious of that. So I don't fly every week. I will make sure that I manage things as best I can. And in Zed's case, we offset all of our operational emissions with permanent forests here in New Zealand. So what we can't reduce, we will offset. Now, I want to get back to that in a minute. But before I do, uh, I want to surprise you with a little quiz. Sure. Don't panic if you haven't studied. Uh, I'm not going to tell you there are no wrong answers. There are wrong answers. Okay. You will be graded. Yeah. But I've been wrong before. But it's a no-judgment <laughs> zone. So, without further ado, question one. Yeah. Which of the following has the biggest warming effect on the planet? A, nitrogen. B, water vapour. C, methane. Or D, carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide. See, I would have said that too until we researched this quiz. Water vapour is actually better at trapping heat than CO2. There's lots more of it. The reason you don't hear so much about it, of course, is that it's always been there and humans are not creators of this stuff. So carbon dioxide is the biggest human-made driver of warming. And as a little bonus, all of the carbon dioxide, methane and nitrous oxide that we're putting into the atmosphere warms things up and creates more More water vapour. So it's still kind of our fault. But yeah, I was surprised about that too. Question two. Which of the following actions has the biggest carbon footprint? A, a return flight from Auckland to New York. B, driving a medium-sized petrol car, slightly bigger than a Mini, for a year in New Zealand. C, powering your home with electricity for a year in New Zealand. I would say the car. You are close, but incorrect. A return flight to New York emits about 6,000 kilograms of carbon dioxide, uh, which is a smidge more, about 10% more than a medium-sized petrol car for a year. And that's according to the Toy 2 EnviroCare calculator. Uh, And electricity use, a typical year's power for a four-person household is less than a quarter of either of those things because our grid's so clean, of course, comparatively. All right, last question. Which famous American politician said this? We all know that human activities are changing the atmosphere in unexpected and in unprecedented ways. A. George Bush Sr. B. Al Gore. C. Mike Pence. D. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Gosh, that's a tricky one. I think it it was that George Bush Sr. was one of the answers. Very well done. That's George H.W. in 1990. So there was a time when mainstream... American Republicans thought that this was a problem and we needed to do something about it, and Mm. then things went a bit wrong. Uh, All right, not bad, one out of three. I'm going to give you a kind of a one plus because I think you actually got the hardest one right. There was a line in your Hot Minute video that really stands out for me. You say that arguably Z is carbon neutral. It's a pretty big arguably, isn't Mm. it? Because you're talking about the 40,000 tonnes of carbon uh, dioxide from your operational emissions. So that's what driving petrol tankers around, running the forecourt lights, all of those things, Mm. still leaves the 9 million tonnes from the actual fuel that you sell. Isn't that a bit like Fonterra saying, oh, yeah, look, we're carbon neutral, except for the milk? (laughs) Well, that's why we don't go talking about it, right? So we we don't go out and badge ourselves. We have not been certified, and we continually point people to the paradox of we've done everything we can to become 
carbon neutral and the products we sell are the really big issues. It's a factor of 253 to one if you want to actually calculate it. So we're very much aware of that, which is why we need to work with our customers and with other stakeholders to say, how might we reduce the carbon intensity of our products or how might we reduce New Zealand's reliance on fossil fuels? So what does that look like? What are you doing in that space? So a a couple of things. The the simple stuff is how do we enable our customers to use less of our products? So what we've done uh, is by way... Just stop you for a minute. How do you sell that to your shareholders? Oh, by the way, our, our business strategy right now is to sell less stuff and to pressure the government to force us to sell less stuff. How does that go in the <laughs> shareholder meetings? It goes fine. There's Again, it's one of those paradoxes. There's a tension between delivering short-term results and making sure we have a sustainable company economically, environmentally and socially for 10, 20, 30 years. It's my job to actually manage the tension between those two things. There's no doubt that we should not be consuming fossil fuels at the rate we currently are, and the world wants to consume more of them because there's economic growth. At the same time, and this is the paradox, we can't just turn that off because fossil fuels are by far the most economic thing to be using, certainly for transport fuels, in the main. So what it means, we actually have to start to work towards a transition or take some steps that may not be the greatest step ultimately, but it's a good first step. So if I was to give you an example, we talk a lot about electrifying the fleet in New Zealand, and personally, and as the boss of Zed, I think that's a really, really good thing to do. However, we've got a vehicle fleet that's 14 years old and electric cars generally come at a premium to a combustion engine. So why are we not spending more money, more time, more investment around biofuels, which is actually a fuel that's able to go into an existing combustion engine, has a much lower carbon intensity as we gradually transition the passenger car fleet ultimately to electric vehicles. It takes up massive amounts of land, though. There's been a lot of questions about, you know, crops for people to eat being displaced by biofuels. Do you think that's a workable interim solution, or should we just be jumping to something better? Well, this is the paradox, right? So, yes, there are times where something like ethanol that's made from uh, sugar cane and, and wheats does displace the food chain. Here in New Zealand, there is a waste product of the meat industry called tallow, so animal fats, that gets exported overseas. We can take that and turn that into a high-quality biofuel here in New Zealand. So Zed's doing that already, but the uptake hasn't been that high from what I understand. Yeah. What's getting in the way? Well, economics, right? We've spent uh, collectively over the years building the plant and running the plant at a loss about $50 million. And our customers, some of them, are actually very generously paying a premium for the product that we are producing. But the premium they pay is not enough to compensate us for the operating costs of the plant, and it's not enough for us to recover the money we spent on the plant. So what do you need? Do you need a higher cost of carbon to make this work? Different ways to solve it. One is, yeah, if carbon was $150, $200 a tonne, it would solve itself. If the price of oil was $150 a barrel, it would solve itself. If there was some form of targeted incentive, that could solve it because there are countries like the US who offer an incentive on biofuels to the tune of 70 New Zealand cents per litre. And so we are in an odd situation. Actually, it would make more economic sense for us to export our biofuel to America. We would make more money that way than actually help New Zealand solve its climate change issues. Okay, so your 30-year plan, how do we move towards less fuel? Yeah, so first of all, we've got to find ways for customers to use less of our products. We recently replaced a card system 
that businesses use to buy fuel. And we used to have uh, one for the Z network and a separate card system for the Caltex network. And what we said to our customers is, we're going to come out with one card that enables you to access either of those networks, both service stations and what we call truck stops. So that means that there's a lot more proximity for our customers, and in many cases, they don't have to drive as far to refuel. If you like, that's an example of what I'd call a network effect. So I find these things really interesting and positive. On the other hand, I feel like we've been at the measuring and incremental improvement phase for a long time. What's needed to get a big step? And what will your business be if people aren't buying much petrol? So again, I come back to what I said earlier, the simple thing is economics get in the way. So I'll give another example. Um, Ourselves in New Zealand, uh, refining New Zealand, Um, And Scion, a Crown Research Institute, did a bit of work to say, actually, how might we have a production facility in New Zealand that takes woody biomass and turns that into jet fuel? The technology we looked at, there's a couple of examples around the world that we could put in place. So it's technically feasible. Someone would need to give us $500 million to build that plant and then a customer like Air New Zealand would probably have to pay a little bit more for their jet fuel to be able to make that work economically. So this is not about technical solutions. Economics get in the way, and then you get into a circular argument, actually, who should pay for that? The customer, the company, or the government? Who should pay? I think it's going to be a combination of all three. Can customers pay more? Can companies like ourselves allocate capital to projects that are a little bit more marginal? And in particular, what's the role of of government in all of this? Because it doesn't always have to be a subsidy or or a, a mandate of some sort, um, often it can be about good sound policy over time that gives companies like ourselves and then ultimately customers the chance to make a choice knowing that actually that policy setting is going to remain in place for a decade. How important is this bipartisan agreement behind the zero carbon building to you for projects like that? It is absolutely massive. So we've seen the big investment fund that's going to pay all of our super in the future being told it's got to get out of fossil fuels, the NZ Super Fund. Does that include Z? No, it doesn't, Mm. uh, for two reasons. The most important thing is Z does not drill for oil or gas. We don't explore for it. We simply sell what our customers ask us to provide. Right. So we could sell electrons or hydrogen or biofuels or fossil fuels. So our customers are saying, because of pricing, we want to get the cheapest one available. So you're just the messenger, you're just the carrier for the stuff that's been drilled out of the ground uh, by these other companies. And we have a responsibility. We can do more than just simply hide behind, you know, we're just giving our customers what they're asking for, which is why we have done things like invest in biofuels, find ways to have our customers use less of our products. Do you see the future as more biofuels or do you think you're going to become an EV charging station? Again, I think it's going to be a mix of hydrogen, will probably go into larger trucks. Hmm. Biofuels looks like it's probably going to be the solution for aviation, long haul, um, short haul, like domestic will be electric. And then passenger vehicles are most likely to be electric. It needs all of those three things working together in different time frames for us to solve the problem. A lot of fossil fuels companies globally, including Zed, are facing legal action for failing to rein in their emissions. Um, so we've seen the EWI leader, Mike Smith's mm. court case recently. We have scientists in New Zealand on government-funded projects who are specifically saying we are trying to link 
particular droughts, particular floods to emissions so that our evidence can be used in court against Mm. companies like yours. What do you make of these cases? Look, I think they're really important, actually, uh, because it creates a dialogue. And in some respects, I wish we didn't have to go to court to have a dialogue. But it creates a dialogue on two fronts. One is between the two parties and then those that are most interested in it. And then there's public reporting on that that gets people starting to think about that by saying, oh, it's kind of weird that those companies are in court defending what they do on my behalf as a customer. So what am I doing with those companies and how can I change things? So, for example, if I, if I got really selfish about it and said, Look, Zed's doing some really good stuff and we could do more, if New Zealanders really want to support a company that's doing the best they can to get us away from fossil fuels and come and do business with Zed, we'll end up, end up with more cash flow, which enables us to then make more of the investments so we get a sort of a flywheel effect. See, I, I feel like your, your sales pitch and the impression I get from Zed is that you are the petrol retailer for people who feel a bit dirty about buying petrol in the first place. <laughs> oh, not, not about dirty, but those that want to make a conscious decision. So we've recently, again, this you know, small steps lead to giant strides is one of the slogans that we use inside the company. We've recently introduced the chance for people to offset their carbon emissions through permanent forests when they buy fuel. And we've given them that choice because a lot of people say, look, I do want to make different choices and make an impact, but gosh, it's really hard to know what to do. I can't go out and buy a, a, you know, my share of a forest, but we allow people through our Z app to actually be able to do that. And it's completely transparent. And yeah, but there's no margin on there for us at all. What's the uptake of that being like? It's, uh, it's in its very, very early days. So we're running it as a pilot. Because in New Zealand, you know, the uptake for people offsetting their flights is pretty low, which makes me wonder if people are quite there yet. I think some people aren't. I, I don't know the exact Air New Zealand number. I think it used to be 5% was one of the numbers they talked about previously. So again, if 5% of our customers chose to offset, that's, that's a small step forward. If many of our potential business customers accessed our Z business card, and took advantage of that network effect at our service stations and truck stops, well, then they would consume less fuel and we'd have less carbon emissions. You grew up in Howick. Mm. Uh, Your work with BP took you all over the world. You're back in New Zealand and you're heading Z, which really trades on its unique Kiwiness, if you like. I wonder if you think that Z's approach to climate change is quite Kiwi. Like you're getting involved in climate change, you want to do something, but you're not quite ready to actually turn off the petrol pumps. Yeah, well, see, the thing is, if we turn off the petrol pumps, nothing changes. People who need the fossil fuels would simply go to somebody else, and those somebody else's don't take the steps. I know I acknowledge they are small steps. They don't take the steps that we are doing to try to give customers better choices or make different types of products available. So... This is where it gets kind of weird. Last year, we saw children protesting in the street about climate change. At the same time, their parents were saying, make fuel cheaper so I can use more of it. Well, we in the media love a good fuel price story, and we're very willing to beat up on any politician or petrol company that raises the price. So uh, at the same time, we're running stories about climate change. So we all have our paradoxes. Just finally, Mike Bennett's what will end first, the sale of petrol in New Zealand or your career at Z, you know, your time in business? Uh, definitely my time in business. So you'll still be selling petrol when you retire? Yeah, and unfortunately. Again, it's a really, really sad thing. They are, yeah, the average car in New Zealand is 14 years old, so unless we replace them all tonight, they will all continue to have some demand for petrol and diesel and jet and all of the fuel that goes into ships as well. 
Well, look, thank you, Mike Bennett, CEO of Z, for coming on our podcast. We really appreciate your time uh, and we will be watching with interest to see uh, whether these small steps do get taken more quickly. Kia ora. Kia ora. So that's it for this time. Thanks for listening to the One Hot Minute podcast. Don't forget to also check out the One Hot Minute video series where you can see Mike Bennett's from Z Energy take 60 seconds to deliver his big idea. There are links on the Stuff homepage and from Play Stuff. If you want to make sure you catch every episode of this podcast, go subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this right now. And if you have a second, give us a quick star rating on Apple Podcasts. Five stars would be lovely, thank you, as it increases the odds of other listeners finding us. This episode was produced by Adam Dudding and me, Eloise Gibson. It's part of the Forever Project, Stuff's newly launched portfolio of climate change coverage. Thanks to Patrick Crudson and Carol Hirschfeld. You can find more information at stuff.co.nz slash one hot minute. See you next time.